Okay, when opposition strikes, that would be on page 121 of your study guide. When opposition strikes, it's a question that all of us must answer at some particular point or another. Uh, because we all have opposition in our lives. No matter how uh, good we try to be to others, uh, they are good to us. They are often not as good to us as we'd like to. Uh, my daughter said to me one day, she had a little issue with her, her cousin, and she said, I don't know why she's always mean to me and I'm always so nice to her. <laughs> you know, they had a little disagreement as cousins usually do. Of course, they got it all sorted out. Uh, okay, the question, the first question uh, is on page 121 of the study guide. Is what makes a classic rivalry so heated? What makes a classic rivalry so heated? Now, we've all, all heard of rivalries, right? Mostly between uh, football teams or baseball teams and, and sometimes in families. So what do you think make a, makes a classic rivalry so heated? Everybody wants to be first. Everybody wants to be number one. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the picture that you have is of a football team, and uh, we know how those rivalries go. Okay. Let's look at the uh, page 122, and uh, we can have someone read the Bible meets life segment, please. You can always tell a true fan. Everything he wears and carries has a team colors or logo. A die-hard fan may even paint her face in the team colors. She is ready to yell and cheer her team to victory. That confidence and bravado can feel very different at, a, at an away game, especially if you find yourself surrounded by fans of the opposing team. Then you're sitting in hostile territory. Your cheers are drowned out by the screams of the home crowd. You may even feel threatened by the menacing looks you get every time you cheer for your team. In an infinitely greater way, this is reality for all who follow Christ. Living for Jesus in a hostile culture isn't easy. Opposition is real, but so is the one Christians follow. Those opposed to Christ and his followers may believe we are on the wrong side of history, but we're on the right side of truth. So how do we respond? As we'll see in this session, the early church responded to opposition with prayer, and so should we. Okay. Notice the point at the top of page 122. What does it say? We can boldly face any opposition because God is in charge. We can boldly face any opposition, not some. Any opposition because of what? God is in charge. God is the one who is in charge. And if he's in charge in your life, then that's certainly a reality that we can count on. Okay, let's see what the Bible has to say. Passages on uh, page 123. If someone could read from verse 23 to 28, please. After their birth, then they are and and the elders today. They all raised their voices to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. You said unto the Holy Spirit, by the mother of our father David, you are saying, 
Why did the Gentiles rage and the people flood? The kings of the earth looked to their stand, took to their stand, and the rulers assembled together against the Lord and against his disciples. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against the Lord to do with every your hand and your plan and predestined. predestined to predestined to take place okay now if you, if you go over to page 124 let's look at those paragraphs on page 124 notice the first three paragraphs on that page Early in the story of Acts, Peter and John had encountered a crippled man and healed his affliction in the power of Jesus' name. As a crowd gathered, Peter used the opportunity to tell everyone about the crucified and resurrected Christ. Peter's gospel witness annoyed the religious leaders. It had likely been less than a year since Jerusalem was in an uproar over Jesus' crucifixion, not to mention the reports of his resurrection. To ensure that, that the name of Jesus did not consume the city again, the religious leaders or religious authorities arrested Peter and John. Of course, the Jewish leaders couldn't deny the miracle, but they, command, they commanded the apostles not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. Peter and John refused. At this point, the religious leaders could do nothing more than threaten Peter and John and let them go. Okay, they had narrowly escaped further punishment, and they were released. But they nevertheless did not uh, give in to, the, to, to what the, the authorities uh, had required of them to do. Look at the uh, paragraphs on page 124. There are some bullet points there. that we want to focus on. Notice, in response to the church, in response, the church didn't quit, nor did they fight back. They prayed, based on their example, this is how we should re preferably respond to spiritual opposition. And this with the backdrop of what Peter and John went through. Notice how our response should be. Number one, be the church. Peter and John found consolation with the communion of the saints. The people to whom you turn for support, encouragement, and companionship in difficult times says a lot about your faith. In other words, whatever you do, whenever crisis comes, the people who you turn to, the people who you go to, uh, who you feel that you can get the support for, determines a lot about what kind of faith you have. Some people don't know where to go when trials and troubles strike, and they end up going to the wrong people. And so the first point is be the church. The second point is use spiritual weapons. See that? We are in a spiritual war. You believe that? The war is spiritual. All around us is a conspiracy against the name of Jesus. In the media, of course, we see it a lot in the media, don't we? You always have a story about someone uh, using Jesus' name and being persecuted or afflicted or chastised uh, uh, for it. 
And we hear a lot of that, and that's increasing. And it will increase as we get closer to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to see that happening a lot. So it's something that we should expect and not be surprised at. Uh, so in, in the media, in classrooms, we see that happening a lot, especially in, in the U.S., not so much here. In the courts, in politics, uh, we also see that in a lot in politics, especially U.S. politics. You see it here in our politics as well. Um, it, was, it was encouraging to see the police commissioner invite all of the uh, religious uh, leaders to a luncheon this past week at police headquarters. Uh, that's a good sign, and we hope that that will lead in the right direction. Uh, and also in the false value system of a culture that ignores God, uh, especially at this time of the year. We need to fight back, but we need to do so in the right ways. We can only win spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. Amen? Okay, you can't fight spiritual battles with all them with weapons that are not spiritual. And the Bible tells us that our battle is not physical, but spiritual. And we need to constantly remember that. And then the point, uh, the, 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 the third point is handle everything with prayer. Handle everything with prayer. When threatened, the church didn't give in, shut up, or lay low. They prayed with faith, humility, unity, and confidence. So should we. And the question that is the first question that comes to mind is what do you do when crisis strike? What is the first thing you do when a crisis or opposition strike? Pray. Pray. You're supposed to pray. Okay? Okay, you're supposed to pray. Uh, but it should be the first thing we do. Uh, let us pray. It should be the first response. Sometimes people go to all kinds of other solutions, physical, uh, uh, seemingly physical solutions. And when all those others fail, then they remember, oh, you know what? We should pray. And that ought to be the first. Um, sorry, just mm -hmm. now in the car, my daughter, she had a ring of a friend of hers who slept over last night. Mm -hmm. And so she's searching the car for it. She, you know, she had it in the car, and I told her, just pray. That's all you can do. What else could you do? If you can't find something or something serious happens to you, there's no no one else really can help you. That's right. God knows where everything is. He's all-knowing. We say that God is all-knowing. We believe that. <laughs> we say that God is all-knowing, and yet when we can't find what we're looking for, we refuse to go to the one who knows, who is all-knowing. Do we really believe that? Hey, I've had that situation before, and I think I've told you I was looking for a document a receipt, and I didn't know where to look. I knew I had the receipt. Okay, I knew I had it because I had seen it. I had handled it. And I remember we were moving the office from one space to the other space, and I remember seeing this folder, this this uh, this, this file. And then NIB called and said, we're missing uh, a payment. And I said, no, no, we're not missing no payment. I remember having that receipt. You know, and so I went, I said, now where do I start looking? We had three storage spaces, and uh, all three of them were full. I mean, tons and tons of documents. And so I said, where do I begin to look? I don't know where to start looking. You know, I had moved that file out of the office and took it to the storage facility to be used for overflow stuff. 
And so I prayed. I went, I said, Lord, you know where that is. I don't know. But you know where that is. You got to show me where that is. What do you call it? Simple childlike faith? And I just, Lord says, okay, just go and look in, that, in, in this particular one. Now, we had two air-conditioned storages and one unair-conditioned. Now, you would think, you know, blazing hot sun, you'd think, I'm going to go look in the air-conditioned one because that's more comfortable, isn't it? So I went to the one that was not air-conditioned, pulled up the door, and when I opened the door, there was that box with that file right at the, right at the front. Right at the front. Now, you cannot tell me that that was our God. You couldn't tell me that God didn't answer my prayer. Man, I was so overjoyed. I was, I was jumping for joy in the car going to the NIB to bring, to show them that receipt. Here's the receipt. Got it all sorted out. But God answers prayer because God is all-knowing. We've got to believe that. God is all-knowing. If we say that God is all-knowing, we've got to believe that and trust Him. Okay, question number two on page 124. What does it say? I can be strong Okay, how can we strive for unity in the presence of opposition? Your thoughts? Pray again, yes. Pray again, and that's exactly what Peter Dose did. Prayer. Number three, question number three. What are some benefits of incorporating praise into our prayers? Huh? You tell people about what happened, the fact that the Lord delivered you. Or okay, yeah, praise. And that could be like, um, you know, just like what that you could be, just be um, finding your seat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Inspiration to someone else so they could at least okay. see your God at work, at work. Okay, praise authenticates the prayer that you're going to pray. Okay, so you praise God, and, uh, and that's why we praise God. We, we, we express praises. Because we want to acknowledge that God is a God who answers prayer. And so we begin by praising Him for the answers to prayer that He has already given Him. What would it be like if so you, you always went to someone uh, asking, 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 and you never give thanks? What do you think that person would say? I'm grateful. I was, who was it? Was it, it was you, sister. <laughs> uh, no, 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 it wasn't you. It was um, Sister Rosie Fountain. I took, I was driving, uh, I drove the sisters to prayer meeting yesterday uh, at the Hilton. My wife's car was in the shop and the mechanic didn't have it ready on time and everything, so I had to get up early Saturday morning because Thaddeus was at the lock-in and I uh, couldn't leave Juliana home alone, so we had to, I had to chauffeur the sisters to prayer meeting on Saturday morning and I think it was Sister Rosie Fountain was saying that uh, we were talking about her children and she was saying that one of her sons, she only sees him when he wants something. Uh, he comes with his plate, and, uh, and he gets something to eat, and when he, when he wants another one, he comes back. Uh, so what would you think of people like that, who you only see them when they want something? And they're never saying thanks or praising you for what you're doing. <laughs> Imagine what kind of response you get, right? But she loves her son. She doesn't mind. Huh? What's the behemoth saying? Potcake only knows when they need you. Potcake only knows when... They only know you when you need them. So. You know. I never heard that one before. No? <laughs> no. That's a new one. Potcake never... Anybody heard that one before? Yeah, yeah. that's a song. I never heard that one. Oh, that's a song. Oh, it's one of KB songs. Okay, I, I never heard that one. I never heard that one. Potcake only know you when they need you. Okay. All right, uh, let's look at, um, so we need, to, we need to remember that praise 
uh, is a part of the prayer process. We praise God for all that he's doing. In fact, that's part of the acronym for prayer. Uh, you, you praise God and you, you thank him for the things that he's doing. And we, when we look at the Psalms, we'll see that David did that a whole lot. He did that a lot. He was always praising God uh, before he got into the petitions. Okay, as we conclude verses 29 to 31, we'll see God's surprising response to his prayer, to this prayer from the early church. Uh, now, we have an exercise there, but we're going to skip over that. It's called Grace Under Fire. Did anybody do that exercise? Anyone did anything with that? No one, okay. Let's look at the other passage then on page 23, 123. <coughs> if someone can read verses 29 to 31, please. And now, Lord, consider their threats. Consider their threats. And grant that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness. God, you stretch out your hand for healing, signs and wonders, to be performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they are afraid, the place, when they are afraid, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. Okay, notice verse 29. They had embraced God's plan in their prayer. We often talk about God having a plan, having a plan for all of us. Okay, they had embraced God's plan in prayer. The believers now requested God to perform a great and visible work. If we accept and embrace God's plan, then we can expect God to do what he says. And you know what? God wants us to call him into account. God wants us to do, wants us to say to him in prayer, do as thou hast said. And that's exactly what the disciples did here. Okay, they, embra they embraced God's plan in prayer and they believed uh, that God would do exactly what he, what he said he would do. The powerful prayer composed of three main requests. The first one, that they wanted the Lord to consider the threats from their opposition. They wanted God to consider the threats that they were receiving. And that's what we can pray for regarding our missionaries. Pray for the threats that our missionaries are receiving. We don't necessarily get those kinds of threats in our part of the world. Uh, but if you do, this is how you, you respond to it. But we pray for the threats that they were receiving from the opposition. They didn't ask God, uh, they didn't ask God to remove the opponents. No, they didn't ask him to get rid of them. Okay, they didn't ask God to punish them or even to protect them from those enemies. In fact, their requests regarding the threats had nothing to do with their oppressors personally. The believers merely asked God to consider the threats. Lord, think about the threats that they're leveling against us, is what they were saying. They left it up to God to judge and to deal with the things as he saw fit. In other words, said, Lord, you know, these people are threatening me. I don't know what you're going to do about that, but I, that's in your hands. I'm going to leave it up to you. You do whatever you feel like doing. You know, sometimes we go before God and we try to tell God what to do. We do that, don't we? Lord, if you could just do this to him and just, and just make him suffer and make this happen. No, 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 no. Notice what they did. They said, Lord... 
I know you know all things. Consider the threats that they are leveling against us. And then you do whatever you see fit. You're God, you're Lord, you're in charge. That's what they did. Okay, we're going to look at the other ones when we move on. But notice question number four on page 126. How does your understanding of God shape the way you pray? That's a good question, isn't it? How does your understanding of God shape the way you pray? In other words, however you pray is determined by how you understand God. How do we understand God? Hmm? More specifically, okay. We hear people using that phrase a lot when things are significant up in their lives. Awesome. Boy, that was awesome. This was awesome. The next was awesome. But you know, awesome is only can be used to describe God. God in Scripture is described as awesome. We should never put anything else on, on, on the level with God by describing it as awesome. That's fantastic, yeah. Mm. He told you that? <laughs> yeah, he's like, God is awesome. I told one God is awesome. No man or boy. Out of the mouth of babes. How old is he now? Eight. Her eight year old son. Her eight year old son comes home and says, This friend is saying all these things and saying all these are awesome. And he said, He told his friend, Only God is awesome. Fantastic, isn't it? He's a witness out of the mother babes. Okay? So our understanding of God's awesomeness should be uh, determined, should determine how our prayers are shaped. Okay. Uh, Look at the passages on page 126 and 27. If we can have someone read those, please. The prayer in verses 24 to 30 is a model of how we ought to pray when the, burden, when the burdens are heavy and the crises are mounting and the enemy is threatening. Talk more to God about what he is doing than about what the enemy is doing. Focus on God rather than on the situation. Notice that after exalting the sovereignty of God and the church, the church made two prayer requests. First, they offered a prayer of trusting submission. The church simply asked God to consider their threats. With a sense of trusting resignation, the church gave the situation over to God. They neither asked God to stop the threats, nor uh, pleaded with him to prevent the threats from coming to pass. Remember, these, these were no idle warnings. We know from later in the scripture that the religious leaders did carry out their threats. The first thing, they stoned Stephen for preaching the resurrection of Jesus. Her Herod and James, the brothers of John, killed with the sword. Herod arrested Peter and held him for execution until God intervened. Paul was arrested and held in custody for several years. The religious authorities meant business when they warned Peter and John not to speak in the name of Jesus. Yet the church asked only that God would consider their threats. Second, they offered a prayer for spiritual boldness. The believers desired spiritual boldness so they could continue to speak God's message fearlessly. 
Their prayer for boldness reflects the early church's priority. They were more concerned about pleasing God and exalting Christ than about their own safety. They made, they made no difference, sorry, it made no difference whether they lived or died. It only mattered that the word of God was proclaimed. This prayer for boldness was a request for something these Christians already had. Early, after questioning Peter and John, the religious authorities had been astonished by the boldness of these common uneducated men. Yet the church now asked the Lord for more boldness to speak the word. Perhaps they knew that the temptation to cower in the face of opposition would always be there. They knew that yesterday's grace will not work for today's challenges. Yesterday's success can become today's complacency. 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 Which then becomes tomorrow's failure. Could this be why the gospel is not advanced today? I believe so. We lack spiritual boldness. We become comfortable with the status quo. We are more concerned about being criticized, persecuted, or rejected than about pleasing God. We choose the path of less resistance. But the church must have spiritual boldness to be faithful to Jesus in the midst of a hostile culture. Thank God for yesterday's grace, but let's pray for new grace and new boldness for today. Then we can experience God's response, even as the early church did. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. Amen. Amen for that. Okay, notice two points. First, they offer the prayer of trusting submission, and secondly, they offer the prayer for spiritual boldness. How often do we pray for spiritual boldness? That's what you ought to be praying when things get tough and you're afraid and you're shaking in your boots as it were. Okay, let's look at the uh, last verse, verse 31. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. In other words, they got an answer to their prayer immediately. And so the second aspect of that prayer uh, was that they requested courage that they would speak their message with complete boldness. And God answered that immediately. They sought bravery in the face of danger, danger, boldness to proclaim the gospel without fear, and power to prevail in the midst of overwhelming odds. The disciples' boldness characterized a spiritual virtue. As such, it can only come from God. The kind of boldness that we need to face the, to, to the opposition that we, we face, you can't muster it up. Some people feel that if they, they have an experience where they had boldness at some particular point, and when they face this particular crisis, they could call and muster it up within themselves and have that same kind of boldness again. The boldness that the disciples had, yeah, it was a boldness that only comes from God. And so this boldness was revealed, revealed their courage, uh, the courage that they need uh, to spread the gospel. The word is used of, of citizens who had the freedom to say anything publicly without fear of punishment. Thus, for the believers, it communicated the freedom to speak the truth about Jesus. 
Boldness also describes the believer's confidence to proclaim the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. The disciples boldly shared their faith with strong and powerful conviction. Ever met somebody who spoke with conviction? And you noticed that what they were saying, they, they said it with conviction? And if you reflect on that, that's how the disciples spoke. Did God answer their prayer for boldness? The rest of the book of Acts reveals that God did. Over and over and over again, we see that God answered that prayer for boldness. Indeed, he answered their prayer. These once timid and frightened men who had been hiding, embarrassed and ashamed, they were altered. God changed them. God took weak and ineffectual and insipid persons and transformed them into bold, courageous, and powerful warriors. Wouldn't you like to be that? God can do that. Warriors for Jesus. And so he can do the same thing with us today. Prayer propels us into action. Prayer advances God's kingdom and ignites a church to move beyond its four concrete walls. But then also there's a third aspect to that prayer. Verse 30. The believers ask God to visually confirm his approval by confirming their bold, their bold witness with what you might call God-sized miracles. You know there's some miracles that only can be attributed to God? They're called God-sized. You know, uh, people can say, well, oh, that, that happened before. You know, we don't put too much credit in that. But when a miracle is God-sized, you, you can only attribute it to God. And so God answered their prayer with some what we call God-sized miracles. They requested observable proof that God indeed had answered their prayer. Specifically, they wanted God's hand. It's a second reference to God's hand in this prayer, which stands for provision. They wanted his strength and his work displayed miraculously in their midst. In other words, they said, Lord, we want you to do some things that nobody could deny that you did it. That's what they were asking for. And we could ask the same thing. They wanted God to demonstrate his power. That's affirming their message through healing, signs, and wonders. And so they were specific here. They said, God, we want you to do this, but we want you to do it in such a way that these people cannot deny that it is you who did it, and that we're not a bunch of crazy wax. The healings would be miracles that they had previously seen with the lame man walking again in chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. Remember that story? Lame man walking? So they wanted, Lord, we want you to do something like that again. The signs were visible demonstrations that pointed to God. The one who has ultimate and omnipotent power. And then the wonders expose the spectacular events that punctuated the early church, as recorded by Luke in all of his writings in the book of Luke. The book of Acts, often called the Acts of the Apostles, but could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because it was actually the Holy Spirit who was behind the Acts of the Apostles. And everything that they did, God was moving and working through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so God's continual demonstrations proved the disciples' prayer to be effectual prayer, powerful prayer. And uh, that hasn't changed. God works the same way today through the prayer of his people. 
Question number five, as we kind of wrap up here now. What does it look like to demonstrate spiritual boldness in today's world? What does it look like to demonstrate spiritual boldness in today's world? Anybody? Hmm? Continue to be bold. Okay. Continue to go against the flow, eh? Yeah, but the consequences. Without, without, okay. That reminds me on, I attended a party on Friday, <laughs> and the host, she said, she said, who is bold enough to come up here to sing a Christmas carol, a favorite Christmas carol, and everybody was so shy. I met up there, and I sang, and I wanted to go in. You said bold, okay. All right. Thank God for yesterday's grace. Notice the highlight uh, at the end of page 127. Thank God for yesterday's grace. But let's pray for a new grace, a new boldness for today. Then we can experience God's response, even as the early church did. Going back to the point, as we wrap up here, uh, we can only boldly face, we can boldly face any opposition because God is in charge. Okay, let's look at the live it out on page 128. How do we live out this lesson today, beyond today? What do we do as a result of this lesson today as we move forward during the coming weeks and days ahead? Okay, consider the following suggestions for this week. Be a supportive influence in your local church. Be a supportive influence in your local church. Like Peter and John, believers come to corporate worship every week in search of refuge from a hostile world. Don't just show up to get your own needs met. Be determined to stir others up toward love and good works. And that's according to Hebrews 10, 24-25. And then the second thing we do is submit to God each day. Submit to God every single day. Begin each day this week by expressing your submission to God and trust Him, and trust in Him. Pray less about your specific needs. Pray more about your desire to follow and obey God as your Lord. In other words, don't focus on the gimmies. Lord, give me this. Lord, give me that. Lord, give me the next. Focus more on your desire to follow, to be an obedient follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the third one is pray for boldness to share your faith. That's a biggie, isn't it? Who is that person God has placed in your life who has hardened, who is hardened against the gospel? I'm sure everybody here knows somebody in their life who's hardened against the gospel. No matter how many times you talk about them about Christ, they have never given their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. We all know somebody like that, right? Okay. What it says here? Pray. Pray for that person. It may be your, in your neighborhood, school, or job. <clears throat> or it may be in your home. Or you could say you're in the family. Don't give in to fear. And don't give up on them. Pray for spiritual boldness. Sometimes we share the gospel with somebody, someone so many times that we just give up. We say, oh, they're beyond hope. Nobody's beyond hope. Okay. Last point. When the church prayed, this is an excerpt from page 128, 
when the church pay, prayed, God did something great around them, in them, and through them. We can still experience that today. Trust God to bring spiritual breakthrough as you pray in faith. Amen? Amen.